RPG Academy presents... Fifth edition actual play. Starring Michael as Arami Mott, Scott as Dane Seaborn, and Matthew as Cassandra Ziegengeist. Featuring Caleb, your game master. This actual play is supported by BattleBards.com. Alright, so it is a few days later. Let's start there. You guys have been staying in the house that Miranda gave you. You've been getting settled, and as you've been getting settled and exploring Stormbreaker Port, you've also been spending some time at the Atoman Empire, the shop that, for some reason, Arami got a job doing inventory. It's the Emporium. The Atoman Emporium. You're right. The Atoman Emporium. So, in these past few days here, as you've been learning your way around Stormbreaker Port and getting used to the city, Michael, what is something that Arami came across that was new and unique to her? There is an animal menagerie in Stormbreaker Point of some exotic animals from around the world and just things I'd never seen before. Like squirrels and chickens. And Cassander, what is something that you have been doing in your exploration of the town? When Cassander is not balancing the books at the Atoman Emporium, which uh, he has learned that Cassander is better being his own boss when he has someone lording over him and telling him things to do, he seems to get a little cranky. So on his long walks... He's found himself going into a lot of back alleys and uh, older parts of the city. And, uh, you know, you know how the city's just like built on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. So he's been finding the city under the city, under the city and, and finding these weird like, you know, Diagod Alley type places and um, really delving into them. Almost a different one every walk because he can never quite remember how to get back to where he was he might be drunk i mean who, who knows he might be drinking away his pain of working his nine to five but you know he's still doing his job and dane what has dane been up to over these past few days dane has been just completely overwhelmed by the the expanse of urbania before him and uh he uh sort of similar to the professor he's he's endeavored to uh, explore uh, many parts of the 
the city, but but not like the the lower dregsy, lesser used, older parts, but like the newer, classier parts. Uh, Dane has discovered several gambling dens and been banned from at least one. Uh, Dane has discovered um, uh, some some nice uh, like like real high class uh, establishments and parties, and much to his shock and appall. They, they don't automatically let him in because he's not, like, a deific presence in this culture like he was. Uh, and, and so he's he's been uh, busily attempting to socially engineer his way into uh, highbrow establishments and not make a fool of himself. All right. Now, one of the things that is also happening here at Stormbreaker Port, there is a religious festival being prepared for. Uh, this is a city-wide event. And it is a time for all religious practices to be honored. So this is something that is very new to the three of you. You are seeing sights and sounds and symbols of all of these different religions being put up all over the city. There is no animosity between any of them. There are different idols and altars being erected. Uh, There are different banners hung all over the place. And essentially what's going on here is the city has decreed this one week for all religious holidays to be celebrated and respected here in Stormbreaker Port. So it's kind of the, instead of having the city clogged up with all these different things happening throughout the course of the year. They're all pushed to this one celebration. Uh, so the shop has been busy. There's been a lot of visitors, a lot of guests, a lot of uh, new people being... Uh, a lot of new people are arriving every single day. As we mentioned last time, this is a very, very large port, and dozens and dozens and dozens of ships can dock at any one time. And over the past few days, the dock has been filling up. So there are many, many ships arriving in Stormbreaker Port uh, for this specific festival. Cassander, as you have been wandering around, digging into kind of the older parts of the city, just exploring for hours on end, one of the things you noticed is that... As you dig further back into the older parts of the city, you find that a lot of the buildings that have now been long since abandoned are much more fortified. Current buildings are what you would think of as a typical shop or house, pretty standard from what you know very familiar and similar to even what was on the Reforged Isles. Uh, But these older buildings, they all have very heavy doors. There's bars on the windows. Uh, Everything is much thicker and sturdier. So as you are exploring a little bit, you also find that uh, it, it seems that there were a lot more... It seems like there were a lot more... Not necessarily pieces of art on the walls, but also, but some sort of runic carvings on the walls and in the streets. Uh, they're very much faded by now, but 
you can see that the evidence is all very clear uh, that it was there and it all existed in a a very specific pattern uh is it something i could recognize or is it just something i'm seeing repeated so i'm making a note of it now uh, a little bit of both why don't you play the game play the game yes absolutely why don't we grab those dice from easy roller <laughs> dice uh, how about an investigation check i'm good at that 22 you are good at that wow okay so in your investigation you see that the runes are definitely some sort of arcane power most likely they were something for protection and while the runes are very reminiscent of the dwarven language that you're familiar with you also see many echoes of elvish not that the two languages have been combined but that the magical runes some of them there is there is a foundation of dwarvish magic and then the type of elvish flow of of runes and magic almost laid over top of them so you are seeing this uh very old evidence of these magical runes that are both dwarven and elvish it does not seem that one language is favored over the other or one type of symbol is favored over the other they they seem to have been working in connection in concert so it's almost like I'm I'm rediscovering an ancient language that has echoes, or, or rather a, a foundation language for two languages I understand. That's certainly one possibility. I like that. I'm probably taking notes in one of my journals. And by probably, I mean I am. As you are taking these daily walks, like you said earlier, each day you just kind of go in a random direction. You're just randomly exploring the old parts of the town. Maybe every once in a while you'll ask a, a resident about something they know. Like, hey, what's what's a really cool part of town? Hey, what's an old building? Like, you know, just getting the lay of the land from these people. So some of them will point you in random directions and you'll find new things you hadn't seen before. On one of these days of exploration, you come across a building that looks a little bit different than the other buildings you've seen. Uh, it, it has that same type of more stocky, fortified build. You see the same type of runes uh, on the doorway, on the columns around the doorway. But, but something about the building just seems different, and it's very intriguing to you. And the sign that says Edison's Tea House kind of bolted on the side is also odd to me where I'm like, huh, interesting. Well, I'm going in. So you walk into this building and while from the outside it was a typical square building without a whole lot of markings, a couple columns on either side of the doors, the windows with these more armored barred shutters that you were seeing before inside the building it is a perfectly smooth cylindrical 
area that you walk into. Oh, almost uh, like mechanically, like perfectly smooth. Like, whoa, this is wow. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It with other buildings that you had walked into, you were able to find evidence of stoneworking. You saw how the rocks had been chipped and and assembled and brought together to make the walls and floors and that kind of thing. You saw the evidence of whoever had built all of these structures. This cylinder is so perfectly smooth, you've never really seen anything like it. And when you walk in, there's a lot of light in this room much more so than the other buildings you've been exploring. And you realize that is because the roof actually has a very large circular opening in it. Um, like the, the same size as, as the, the diameter of the walls? Like it just com- completely continues? Or is, is the opening much smaller? Is it in the center or is it offset? It is in the absolute center of the room. And... As you walk around the room and move a little bit more towards the center to look up, you have this weird sense of the room being much taller than it should be. It's almost like you're at the bottom of a well looking up. Oh, dear. Huh. I mean, it's, it's, hmm, a space that looks like it was carved out of nothingness and expands beyond dimensions we're comfortable with? We've never seen anything like that before, or lost our <laughs> marbles in there at all. Oh, look, a marble. You have fun. <laughs> Dane's gambling. <laughs> or not gambling, or getting thrown out of someplace. Dane is proficient with gambling tools, so. That's right. Oh, no, wait, I took cooking tools. Damn it. (laughs) So the door is on the ceiling, but the ceiling seems to be further away than it is. Further away as in out of reach or further away than it seems. Well, there's the door you walked in through. That's still where it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you look up into the ceiling where this natural sunlight is coming from, you had this idea of how tall the building was from outside. You saw the roof. Right. But when you move to the center of the room and look up, it seems much, much taller than it should be. Not uh-huh. not impossibly tall. But there is a, a great sense of dissonance between your perception of the building from the outside and your perception of the building from the inside. Understood. Could I get to the door on the ceiling from where I am? How would you like to attempt that? Well, I'm asking because if I can't seem to get it with my own self, like maybe with a... Actually, no, I don't I don't have to do that. Okay, I could play this game. Could I try and entangle or a thorn whip to try to uh, open the door and maybe uh, make a make a ladder or at least a handhold for me to get up there. Cause I don't know if it's 10 feet, 20 feet. I might as well make a, a ladder for myself to, to get up there once the door is open. Sure. Okay. 
Okay, let's play a game. So you will use your nature magic to summon up a, a large growth of uh, very woody, branchy vines. And they creep up the side of this cylindrical tower that you seem to be inside of. Okay. And it seems from your point of view, the floor, that they crawl all the way up the side towards this opening in the ceiling. Okay. I, I would like to open the ceiling when I get up there. Okay, so you can climb up this makeshift ladder no problem. The opening on the ceiling lets you pass through without any issues. And you are now standing on the roof. From this new point of view, you realize that you are somehow at the not quite peak of the mountains behind Stormbreaker Port, but you are much higher than you originally thought you were based on your navigation to this old part of the town. And as you stand there taking in the city beneath you, you can see from horizon to horizon the ocean stretching out. You see a clear sky, clouds on the horizons. You see specks of islands in the distance. You see ships moving. You see strange shapes gliding through the water underneath. Some of them are probably fish or aquatic beasts. Some of them might be something different. You're not sure. And then, after a few minutes of taking this all in, you feel a bit of a thump in one of your belt pouches. Oh, shit. I was thinking that, too. As if you had dropped in a something you had picked up. If you had picked up a stone and just dropped it into your pouch, that's the weight and the impact you feel. But you didn't do that. You took no action. Am I looking in a particular direction when this happens? Do I notice, like, when I look to the west, it happens? Or or am I just like, whoa, and then I feel it, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, that, yeah the second one. You're just looking all around, taking it all in, and... Fump. Here's a thing. Okay, well, I'm definitely going right to the pocket because I want to see this warlock again. All right, so you reach into your pouch, and in your hand is the whale tooth from all that time ago on that crazy island adventure the three of you had been on. You turn it over in your hand, puzzled a little bit that it shows up out of nowhere. You'd almost forgotten about it. And you see that on one side of it, it is a, a smooth ivory color, kind of speckled and marbled. And on the other side, there is uh, an old scrimshaw etching of just waves hitting the shore. And as you're sitting there, looking all around you, kind of turning this 
tooth over in your hand, it starts to feel a little warm. And you glance down, and you realize that the scrimshaw is moving. Uh, this is this is all I'm looking at right now. And you see that the waves are actually crashing against the shore. Think of this as, uh, in the modern world, a very old, crude animation. That's exactly what I was thinking, like uh, Steamboat Willie. Yeah, yeah. Everything's moving a little bit. It's uh, a little bit shaky. It's not like you're watching a television. You're clearly seeing frames of animation. So, so picture that as you're watching this happen. And what you see as you're watching this, in those waves, there's a ship. And the ship comes to the shore and disembarking from the ship are dwarves. And these dwarves are clearly wearing battle armor. Do they look a whole lot like all those dead firebrands we found on the beach? No. These are beefy, massive dwarves. And you see that while most of them are bearing shields and massive war axes and spears a group of them are carrying a very large box uh, slung underneath two sets of poles and they're carrying it on their shoulders think uh, Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones and this procession of dwarves walks onto the shore and they enter a cave. The animation seems to pause for a moment. It's not like it has stopped. You just realize that nothing is happening momentarily. It's, it's just paused for an ad. It's buffering. Does the little symbol come up and it's like... <laughs> sketch, sketch. Yeah. So, so uh, these dwarves that he's watching, is, is, he, is he watching it like, like, uh, like pay-per-view, or is he looking through the tooth and following this action projected out on the beach that he's looking at? Oh, no, he's watching it like animation. He, he's watching it like a television. Yeah, I was, I was almost thinking, like, I'm turning the tooth. You know what I'm saying? So, like, they're, they're like, marching across the tooth, and I'm spinning it, and as it spins... Oh, because the they march to the other side. Yeah, but 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 the ah. image is changing the whole time, so it's not... The loading screen is behind, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's like, click, yeah. click, mm-hmm. click, click, click. That's what I saw in my head. Cool. I like it. So after a few minutes, and you have a sense that while you're watching this happen, this the simulacra is a is not happening in real time. You're watching it happen over a few minutes here, but it represents days. So so the time when nothing is happening, you just get this sense that the dwarves went into this cave with this box and days, if not weeks, have passed. And then you see the cave and the mountain it is in start to rumble and shake. There is... An eruption out of the cave, not of lava, but of water. And you watch this water pour out of this cave. And the dwarves never came out? It just water just shot out? Absolutely. 
and you see this water start to flood the area and climb up and up and up the mountain until only the tops of it remain like small islands in a massive ocean that was not there before. It's like a prequel. Whale Tooth episode one. And as that subsides, the animation stops. The image, the static image of the Scrimshaw is no longer waves hitting a shore, but it is a massive ocean with small islands. And the heat of this tooth uh, cools back down, and it is just a tooth with a bit of etching in it. I'm going to um, go into like the um, kneeling position and and kind of put the scrimshaw in front of me and take out my notebook and try to like draw like cartoon the scene that I saw like across my notebook as fast as I can in hopes that I can do it before. I forget it, although I'm an elf, so I really don't forget anything because, you know, elves, right? But I also don't want to put the I also don't want to put the tooth away because I don't want it to disappear again. But I also don't want it to disappear without me putting it away, so I'm kind of, like, torn. So I keep, like, looking at it, making sure it's, like, not disappearing in front of me, like the picture in uh, Back to the Future, you know? As you stand there, or kneel there, jotting down these notes, the tooth stays in your hand, it stays wherever you place it, and it is very easy for you, being a skilled, studious type of person, to recall these images, jot down what happened. You are not in danger of losing any of this knowledge you have gained. So let's say it takes you maybe 15 minutes, half an hour, to jot all these notes down. You're just kind of hanging out there on the top of this building. As you do that, the sun is bright in the sky. You can take a break and look around, and you're kind of looking horizon to horizon. Almost kind of half the world is beneath you at this point. Stormbreaker Port is a massive mountain. Uh, The Reforged Isles, you know, were the top peaks of an old mountain range, and it made a pretty big island. Stormbreaker Port is magnitudes larger than the Reforged Isles ever were. And that's what and that's what's above the water. So from your point of view, you see the mountain behind you stretching up into the clouds. You see the port below you. You see everything kind of laid out uh, around you. And you just realize the, the scope and the scale of what you are looking at. Well... I'm I'm cowed by the, by the uh, by the things that I'm seeing. So with uh, this new knowledge jotted down in your notebook, with this new perception of where you actually are, what would you like to do next? There wasn't anything in the structure, bes- you know, besides the runes on the outside, right? I mean, it it wasn't correct. Yeah, perfectly smooth, perfectly empty, cylindrical tower. You know what? I'm going to go for a fly. Okay. So I'm going to put my uh, my scrimshaw back into my pocket since I've paced around up here enough and I and it's not going anywhere and I took down the information. Nothing's changing, right? 
Correct. It's back. It's back to its. Well, it's back to its fix the scene that I got it at, right? Yes, but it is the new scene that it ended at, not the original oh, scene. Oh, but uh, okay, but it's fixed is what I meant. Yes, it is no longer moving. Okay, well then I would uh, put everything away securely in my little pouches and stuff. I would assume the form of a giant eagle and then uh, screech off into the skies. <laughs> Fly, you fools. All right, so let's... Let's cut over to Arami. Arami, you have been working in the furniture shop. It has been a typical, normal day. Has anything odd happened? Have there been any strange customers? Anything that sticks out in your memory as, as a weird event? Um, yes, there was a, we'll say a halfling who looked a bit scruffy who came in and, and spoke to uh, Miss Atoman. And uh, she seemed very upset after he left. And she won't... I didn't overhear what was said. I don't know what happened. But uh, she seems to be visibly shaken. And, like, basically he's like, you're in charge. And then she went to the back to, like, smoke one while uh, after this conversation. All right. So let's say that happened closer to evening, around dinner time. Normally... Uh, Miss Atoman will be there for, for the entirety of the day. But with this event happening, she stays away for most of the evening. And it comes to closing time, and she has not returned. But you are basically in charge of the store, so you can close down, lock up, stay open, really do whatever you want. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've said we've been doing this for like a week or so. So I'm, I'm sure I have the routine down uh, well enough to, you know, I'll basically lock the store up like I would, like we, we would normally do with her. Uh, I'll probably do everything twice just to make sure because I don't want to, you know, be the reason why something happens. And, and I probably would like stick around out, out front for a while too, just to make sure no one comes back or she doesn't come back. But after, you know, after enough time, then I would start to make my way uh, either back to our home, if that's where we normally meet, or if we've started going to the Miranda's bar, the uh, the Winking Gorgon or whatever that was, uh, I might go there as well, or instead, depending on where I think I'm going to meet these two. Uh, the bar was the Blinking Medusa. And, yeah, it, was that your normal hangout after work for you guys? Sure. Yeah, sounds... Uh, yes. Yeah. Dane liked that place. I mean, we, we got in a... Pretty epic fight. You got to punch somebody in the nads. Yes. We'll, we'll go back to the Winking Medusa and, uh, yeah. And there's there's two or three dwarves that were a little bit tipsy who think Army is a twin because there was two of me at one point. And they keep hitting on me and they keep talking about this thing that I don't quite understand what they mean. But I get free drinks out of it. So the Blinking Medusa is a short walk from the furniture store. Maybe 15 minutes or so. Normally, Arami, as you are walking back towards the tavern, there's a lot happening in the town, especially with the preparations of this festival. But you've gotten used to it. You've gotten used to the hustle and bustle. And, and that took you a couple days. It, it, that was a very big adjustment for you. You're not used to seeing this much traffic, this many people you don't know, this many creatures you don't recognize. 
But after a couple days, you kind of got over that initial shock. And, you, and you've gotten used to just threading your way through the crowd, kind of shouldering your way through the thicker parts of it where you need to, uh, using your dwarfy warrior build to your advantage. Not your armor, but your build. Why would I wear my armor when I'm working in a shop? That makes no sense. One of the things you've also gotten used to are the pickpockets. On your second day, one of them made the mistake of trying to take your pouch of gold. His hands are now broken. Pretty much, yeah. That's about what happened. They know to stay away from you. And you can very easily pick them out of the crowd uh, because you can, you can just watch them kind of clearing out of your way while you're walking around. Uh, on this night, though, as you are uh, walking towards the uh, walking towards the tavern, you see some pickpockets or street thugs moving around. You kind of recognize their pattern. You see they're almost circling or closing in on an old man who's just kind of shuffling along. So this old man is is wearing a tattered cloak, worn sandals. He's leaning heavily on a staff, walking very slowly. Okay, so well, Army would see this, and Army... Being army would not stand for this. This is an old man. I don't want these pickpockets messing with him. But I also don't necessarily want to, you know, get into like a big kerfluffle. So I would uh, sort of make my way quickly up to the old man and kind of like put an arm around him as if I know him and just start walking with him. Be like, oh, it's so nice to see you again. Come on, let me help you uh, where you're going, old timer. So as you do this, the... You see his head kind of turn and look at you, and his head is, is very deep in the shadow of his robe, but you get the sense of kind of a glimmer of a smile. Army just has that open, honest, stupid face of her, so she's just smiling. And as you are walking with this figure now, after a, a few seconds, two of these thugs move out of the crowd and stand in front of you. And you quickly see that these are not the typical street rats, urchin pickpockets. These are some pretty dangerous, intimidating looking figures. Ah, army's too dumb to be intimidated by intimidating figures. And the two of them standing there, they both they, they push their way through the crowd, completely block your path. Uh, one of them appears to be really big and muscular, kind of the size of a human, but a little bit taller, dark skin, and you see almost fangs or tusks in his mouth instead of teeth. He's got kind of a, a mohawk of bristly hair and some odd tattoos on his exposed shoulders and arms. Uh, the other one is very much a human, uh, but he is very athletic, very muscular. Uh, you see a couple daggers at his belt and a couple pouches that seem to be pretty heavy with different items. And he is the one that moves forward and looks you up and down. 
I don't think you need to be helping this particular individual tonight. Maybe you should just move along. Oh no, he's really old and weak. He definitely needs my help. He laughs a little bit. Let's put this another way. If you are here helping this old man, you're going to be in our way. No, it's our me, but most people mispronounce it. That's It's okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he sighs heavily and kind of cocks an eyebrow looking at you. And you see him look over your shoulder and kind of nod his head in that, hey, kind of way. And you hear three or four more people shoving their way through the crowd. And the noise of the typical ebb and flow of the crowd, that ambient noise, kind of hushes a little bit. And you realize that the normal groups of people that would just be walking through the town have kind of fallen back. And they're circling around this situation. They're getting out of your way instead of just walking right where these guys are. So I'm going to kind of look around. I, I assume we're surrounded more or less at this point. There's, there's four other people. So they're not actually circling around you, but they're kind of equidistant around you. So there's four people kind of on either sides and two behind you, and these two guys in front of you. Is there any place I could kind of push the old man's son kind of like out of the way just so that he's not in the middle of this when, when things start to get hairy? Yeah, because the people, the, the one person to your left and the other one to the right, it's not like they're immediately next to you. They're four or five feet away. So I'm just thinking like there's like, like we're in like sort of like in a walkway or an alleyway between buildings. So I, I'll put him against a building like on a crate. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll get in front of him. So there's like a semicircle of all of them. But I've got the building behind me. Um, and then I'll, I'll pull my Warhammer from my belt. And I'll just kind of look at each one of them in turn. And then I'm going to look. I'm going to point at the guy with the tusks and go, you're first. That sounds like an intimidate check. Hmm. What is your intimidate? Minus eight? Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be a flat zero. Perfect. Because your minus one charisma is balanced out by... <laughs> Something. I actually have a zero charisma. Oh. Totally average. Don't you need charisma in a multi? Oh, whatever. Uh, shh. That would be a nine. No, no, okay. All right, so you point and kind of threaten at this tusked figure, and he starts to laugh, but he doesn't make any move towards you, you see him actually kind of shuffle back a pace. Not like he's taking a step away from you, but you see him shifting his weight so that he's a little bit further back from you. You, you know combat, and you, you know people's body movements. He's not preparing himself to take offensive action towards you. Mm. You see him actually shifting a little bit defensively away from you. It's slight, it's subtle, but you've been in enough fights to know what that means. And I know when people are afraid of me, because most people on the islands were. I got used to that. So I'm doing the thing again where I've, I've got my hammer, and I'm just sort of twisting it back and forth, so the Kovar is facing and then the Invar is facing, and just kind of going back and forth. And I'm, I'm totally, like, I'm not upset, I'm not scared, I'm not angry, I'm just, like, waiting and if they make a move, then we're going to go. But I'm totally fine if they decide to walk away at this point. So as you are standing there, you're kind of in this 
showdown moment. And it feels like it's lasting a long time. It's exactly in the movies where the camera plays over your face, bounces to one of them, circles around a little bit. So there's this long beat where you're kind of eyeballing each of these figures. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at therpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.